Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, coastlands. Pay attention, peoples far away. The Lord called me before my birth, called my name when I was in my mother's womb. He made my mouth like a sharp sword and hid me in the shadow of God's own hand. He made me a sharpened arrow and concealed me in God's quiver, saying to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I show my glory. But I said, I have wearied myself in vain. I have used up my strength for nothing. Nevertheless, the Lord will grant me justice. My reward is with my God. And now the Lord has decided, the one who formed me from the womb is his servant, to restore Jacob to God so that Israel might return to him. Moreover, I'm honored in the Lord's eyes. My God has become my strength. He said, It is not enough, since you are my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the survivors of Israel. Hence, I will also appoint you as light to the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The Lord, Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, says to one despised, rejected by nations, to the slave of rulers, kings will see and stand up, commanders will bow down, on account of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. The word of God for the people of God. Author of life, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we reflect upon it this morning, your spirit would be with us to transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. So when I was in seminary, I had a chance to take a class on Isaiah. It was a chance to spend a whole semester working through the 66 chapters of the book under the guidance of a professor whose primary scholarly focus is on the book of Isaiah. And one of the interesting exercises that we went through in that class was that by the end of the semester, we had to turn in a copy of the text of Isaiah that we had carefully read through and highlighted. I don't remember exactly how many themes we had to look for, I think it was at least five. And so as we went through the semester, I had a copy of the book that I dutifully went through with my highlighters, as many colors as I could find, highlighting different things that stood out to me. Things such as mentions of warfare and peace, of economic injustice, of idolatry, of the environment, of the treatment of women and children, of the familial connections between the kingdoms of Israel and Judah and the tribes of the patriarchs. So by the end of the semester, I had a binder filled with pages that were colorful like a rainbow. I share this story with you so that you understand that this is a book that I've spent a lot of time reading, so that you understand that this is a book filled with content that I cherish. It's a book filled with messages of grace and mercy, alongside messages of judgment and destruction. 
It's a book filled with concrete historical events and rich symbolic images. It's a book that sometimes resonates clearly with me and that at other times I have to wrestle with. So when I say to you that there are passages that I find to be almost inscrutable, you will hopefully appreciate that their inscrutability is a part of the nature of the text. Today's passage is one of those that I struggle to wrap my head around. Because if we look closely at the text, we see that it isn't actually clear who's speaking here. On the one hand, it sure seems as though an individual is the one talking. Statements like, the Lord called me before my birth, called my name when I was in my mother's womb. And the Lord, Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, says to one despised, rejected by nations, to the slave of rulers, kings will, stand, kings will see and stand up, commanders will bow down on account of the Lord, who is faithful to the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. All that suggests that we're listening to the voice of an individual. But on the other hand, he made me a sharpened arrow and concealed me in God's quiver, saying to me, you are my servant Israel. Seems to suggest that we're hearing the voice of the prophet as a channel for the entire community. And then as Christians, how can we hear a passage like, it is not enough since you are my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the survivors of Israel. Hence, I will also appoint you as light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. How do we hear that and not hear a reference to Jesus Christ? The prophet, the kingdom, the Christ, where one voice ends and another begins, seems impossible to untangle. So maybe the key to understanding this passage doesn't lie in understanding how God is speaking to or through any one of these speakers. Maybe the key lies in understanding how God speaks to and through all of these voices at once. Whether God's message is directed to any one of them specifically or all three of them at once, the heart of the passage is the same. The Lord has chosen you to be an instrument of God's reconciling plan for the world. And perhaps this is a biblical theme that you're familiar with, God's chosen people. Maybe you've heard about it in the language of election or God's elect. Maybe you've heard about it in the language of predestination. Too often these ideas are twisted. They're misused and abused in order to create an us and a them. The chosen who are in and everyone else who is out. And those who misinterpret such ideas take words like those from Isaiah, words like the Lord called me before my birth, to suggest that their salvation was chosen long ago in the mists of time. But they ignore the rest of Isaiah's words. They ignore the part about being a light to the nations. Instead, what they have decided to say is that God has been a light to me. And if others didn't get that light, 
then that's too bad for them. This is not what Isaiah or any of the other prophets intend when they speak about God's chosen people. They knew all too well that being God's chosen people is not an easy path to walk. More often than not, the prophets are in fact reminding the people of the responsibility that comes along with God's favor. It's usually the task of the prophets to point out that God's favor has been taken for granted. That they and their kingdoms have failed to be a light to the nations. That instead they have placed themselves on a pedestal above their neighbors. And often these reminders came in times of distress and destruction after the consequences of arrogance had come crashing down upon the people. Being part of the called is therefore both a gift and a responsibility. If you're at all familiar with Spider-Man, you know that whenever the movie franchise gets rebooted, things aren't going to go well for Peter Parker's Uncle Ben. But Uncle Ben has also served as a dispenser of prophetic wisdom in his short, doomed appearances. And there's one line that has become so associated with Uncle Ben that it's become something of an in-joke in Spider-Man material. With great power comes great responsibility. Well, it sure would be nice if Isaiah could be that clear-cut. If he could just say, God told me that I've been chosen as a vessel for the power of God, but I have a lot of responsibility to go along with that power. We have the gift of finding liberation from the idols of our world, but we also have the responsibility to share that gift with others. The light of God is not something for us to hoard to ourselves. It's not ours to squirrel away. Instead, as we just sang in our hymn, everywhere I go, I'm going to let it shine. Now we might hear the words of Isaiah, the ones that say we're called to be a light to the nations and be overwhelmed by the enormity of that task. But here's something else for us to keep in mind. When the scriptures talk about the nations, they don't mean a nation like we do today. When they say you're called to be a light to the nations, what they mean is you're called to be a light to everybody around you. Doesn't matter if they're from the same family, the same tribe, or the same kingdom. God expects you to share that light with everybody. And what an important message that is for us today. Around the world and here at home, there are forces that seek to gain power by pointing out the things that separate us from one another. But the gospel calls us to a different way of being. It reminds us that nations and states mean nothing to the kingdom that is to come, that kingdom where every knee will bend to the Lord our God. And it reminds us that our task calls us to share our light with every one of our neighbors as well. Maybe we don't think of ourselves as being tribal anymore, but we are. We've just given it new names. We align ourselves with people who go to the same church as us or the same school as us. We cut ourselves off from people who live in a different part of town or a different state. 
or who vote a different way. And the gospel that called us to serve Jesus Christ calls us to break down each and every one of those barriers that we've set up. It reminds us that we have a light to share. But here's the reality. Even when we commit ourselves to that responsibility, there will be times that we're frustrated. There will be times that we feel like we're just spinning our wheels. Times that we feel like we've failed. We'll say to God, you know, I'm out here doing my best, and it seems like nothing is working. It seems like no matter how much I try to spread my light, it isn't growing. In those moments, we will feel like Isaiah saying, I have wearied myself in vain. I have used up my strength for nothing. But hopefully, we will also recall Isaiah's very next words. Nevertheless, the Lord will grant me justice. My reward is with my God. When we shine our light in the darkness, we are being faithful to the work that God has chosen for us, even if we don't see the results right away. As Kim mentioned, tomorrow is a day when our nation will remember the life and the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., Like so many others who have advocated for justice, Dr. King shone his light on the world and was denied the chance to see how that light has pushed back on the darkness. I'm sure that many quotes from Dr. King will make their way around social media tomorrow, and I'm sure that many of them will be made presentable for public consumption by highlighting the light of the vision while downplaying the darkness of the struggle. So I want to encourage you to find some time tomorrow to find the full text or the full audio of one of his sermons or his letters or his speeches, maybe the letter from a Birmingham jail or his final sermon, I've been to the mountaintop, and read it all the way through or listen to it all the way through. Because when we see the words of Dr. King or of anyone advocating for peace and justice, we cannot help but see the darkness that surrounds the light of their witness. But when we look at the arc of history, we also cannot help but see how the light of their witness drives back the darkness. Maybe the darkness isn't driven back overnight, Maybe the darkness continues to try and overwhelm the light. But we know that we live in a brighter world thanks to the light of people like Dr. King and James Lawson and Diane Nash and Fannie Lou Hamer and Bayard Rustin and Rosa Parks and John Lewis and countless others. They had a call to expose injustice by shining a light upon it. And each and every one of us is called to shine our light as well. To shine a light of love where there is hatred. To shine a light of peace where there is conflict. To shine a light of comfort where there is grief. To shine a light of relaxation where there is exhaustion. So foster that light within yourself. 
pray to the Spirit to keep the flames blazing within you. And then spread that light everywhere you go. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, set our hearts on fire. When we feel like smoldering ash, reignite your love within us. Let us be the torches with which your glory is exposed to all creation. Amen.